Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm a co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. It started this when we did the nose breathing, the diaphragm, and we noticed like, yeah, I feel a little different. I, I view the world a little different. I feel a little bit more calmer. The calmer and more grounded, and the more you use your diaphragm, the more you get out of your head and into your body. And that's an element that I think people should incorporate. When you're running, you should be out of your head. Your mind should be calm. You should be more embodied. And breathing is a great way to get into that state. <laughs> Yeah. And a great way to keep it is that they can practice it. And then now you're killing a lot of birds with one stone. You're learning to be a more mindful human. You're being more calm. You're being more grounded. You're working on your breathing. You're, you can have a better relationship to your running, possibly your injuries. And then it's doing this while you're doing the thing that you love. And then that seems pretty sustainable to me. Hello and welcome to our second deep dive episode, guys. On this particular segment, you will find me chatting to some running experts about specific topics in depth. I really do hope that you enjoyed uh, the previous episode with Dr. Martin Curry that was on lower leg injuries. If you haven't had a chance to go listen to that, I highly recommend it. But today I'll be talking all things breathing with someone I personally have always drawn inspiration from ever since I started practicing as a biokineticist almost 10 years ago. Dr. Lawrence Lawrence van Lingen is a qualified chiropractor from South Africa who now lives in Colorado, USA, and has made a name for himself by working with some of the world's best runners and helping them achieve their best potential. He is the founder of Inner Runner, which is a running community created to help individuals get the most out of the sport, whether it's through the online classes that he hosts, or the workshops, as well as the coaching that he does. Today, we really chat to Lawrence about breathing. And while this can be such a crucial element that most runners don't really think about, we speak about the physiology behind breathing, we go over a couple of tests for you to try and gauge to see whether your breathing capacity is good or not so good. And it's we also go on to chat about certain breathing techniques for running and how to become a more mindful breather throughout your day and what impact that has on your running performance. Um, you'll also notice that at the start of the pod, I insinuate that we did have a previous conversation and unfortunately we were unable to release that due to the poor quality of the recording, especially the audio. And today I must again apologize as the recording quality is still not up to the high standards that we hold for ourselves but we decided that it still should go ahead as the subject matter is really really interesting and I think that our listeners are bound to find it useful and take something home from it. Um, I'll just blame it on the fact that he lives across the world from us and the wi-fi is just not working with us at this stage but before we start I also want to give our newsletter a bit of a shout out uh, I really encourage you to make sure you head over to our website www.makingarunner.com and hit subscribe so that you can receive our weekly running newsletter it's really a publication you don't want to miss out on and um, you receive it on a Monday morning we highlight previous conversations that we had in the past we hint to future ones and we also keep you in the loop with current running news Lastly, we appreciate all your support as always. If you would like to support the pod even further, head on over to our Patreon where you can pledge to keep us doing what we love. Even something small like leaving us a review on your favorite streaming platform or sharing the episode with your running buddy can go a long way to helping the show. But that's enough from me. Sit back, relax, 
take a deep breath, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Lawrence van Lingen. Lawrence, welcome to the show again for me, but not for you. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to release the previous episode what you had, but I am very grateful for you making the time to be with us here today. Oh, thanks, Nick. Yeah, um, it feels familiar, but like, <laughs> yeah, we didn't get the uh, from my side. Um, yeah, we didn't get the last show out, which is probably a good thing. Maybe it was too random. Yeah, no, I think now we definitely have a better idea of what we want to talk about and we come to this one with some fresh energy. Uh, so I'm really, really excited for the conversation. And as the listeners know by now, after, after having clicked on, on this podcast episode, we're going to be talking about all things breathing for runners. So perhaps, Lawrence, you could kick us off with a, a simple breathing exercise that, say, someone on the commute to work or someone that is on their easy jog listening to this right now uh, could quickly just take part in to get into the flow of things. Okay, so, so breathing is probably one of the quickest ways you can change your mental and emotional state um, for the better, right? And so... Um, we'll, we'll talk about the breathing and structure of the breathing, but one of the things you want to do is your diaphragm should initiate breath, probably. And often when we sit, your diaphragm gets sort of jammed up. So I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm sort of a little bit rounded, and so I'm sort of compressing my diaphragm. It doesn't have much room to move up and down. Maybe we've had a big meal. For various reasons, our diaphragm can get a little stuck. So I, an exercise I really, really like to sort of... Um, Breathe the diaphragm up and get it working again. So because these breath is natural, um, it's it's, it's autonomous. Um, it's autonomic, so you don't have to think about breathing. You will take twenty thousand say breaths today. You can think about it, and you can control it, but then you can forget about it. So anyway, it's a really good little exercise to sort of initiate the diaphragm, um, probably calm you down a little bit, so we can do this and it will make us a little bit calmer and more relaxed through the through the podcast. Is if you take your Fingers of your thumb and forefinger, either side of your nose, and you pinch your nose together 50%. So don't block it completely, just pinch it half and then breathe into your nose. And then let go and breathe out. And kind of breathing in for kind of six out for about a kind of six. It doesn't have to be that. And so I'm breathing in. Five, six, breathing out. One, two, three, four, five, six. Pinch my nose close 50%, breathe in, six. Let go your nose, breathe out. And if you if you put your hand over your sternum um, or above your belly button and you're breathing in, you should find that area sort of rises up underneath your hand, which is a good sign that your your diaphragm initiated this way. And then we'll do one more. And generally speaking, after that, you should feel, hey, I feel a little more calmer, I feel a little bit more present, I feel a little bit more in the moment, possibly less anxious. But a good dose of that is five to ten of those breaths. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I think that that's probably something nice to do at the, at the start of a race where you are feeling extremely anxious and waiting for that gun to go off and feeling all that pressure, uh, maybe just to ground yourself back in and settle yourself back into a race. I'm definitely going to try um, that one in future. Uh, but maybe 
Lawrence, let's start with giving us a little bit of an introduction to uh, who you are, why I would have brought you onto the show, and uh, just your journey with working with runners through the the experiences that you've experienced uh, that you've had. Okay, so I started out as a as a chiropractor, and I did like sports chiropractic in Durban. Um, but very early on, while as a student, in fact, I started working with a lot of comrades runners and a lot of elite comrades runners. Um, and so I was part of like the surprise team. We used to look after all the, the sort of Russians and internationals that came through and then the local athletes. And so very early on in my career, I mean, at the opening of my practice, the first day my practice ever opened, like Josiah Tagwani and Zipaleli Sink were, were there. Um, <laughs> Josiah came in because he had a knee injury. And so like, it's just weird. I just worked with, with very, very good runners right off the bat. And a, a lot of the runners, like, it, it's very different. You know, runners now are concerned with injuries and they can Google and they know the names of the joints and they know, like, they know what an navicular bone is. And, um, you know, back, but in 1988, there was no Google. <laughs> and, um, and I was, you know, working a lot with um, African runners, it was more about function. So, like, you know, a runner would, would feel totally at home saying, I've lost my rhythm. You need to get my rhythm back. Or, you know, this part's not moving well. They're not that concerned with pain. They were more concerned with function. And if you could restore that function, they were happy. And so I think like, that influenced the way I treat a lot because I had a, an incredible template to sort of work for, which I'm sure you know, you, most people, I think, work with amateur athletes. And as they get that in a bigger reputation, you sort of build up from mm. the bottom up like a pyramid. Mm. So I think that was that. And then I, I did a lot. I, I got into rehab, into movement, into fitness and conditioning. I coached. Um, we started doing, I started getting more and more interested in, in working with fascia. And, and now, then when I moved to the States 10 years ago, um, I, I didn't license again as a chiropractor. And I've been doing, I, I licensed under uh, structural integration, which is like the role thing, or it's basically um, working on fascia. And so now I work in a, in a world where we I'm primarily concerned with helping athletes move better, but also trust their body and understand from an authentic or very intrinsic space what they should be doing when they run. Um, so, so that would be like a little bit, I know it sounds kind of weird, but a little bit different from so me. Let's say I could look at you and say, hey, you know, your shin angle's not good. <laughs> um, let's improve your shin angle or your cadence is insufficient. You need to increase your cadence. Um, I'm much, I work in a world now where I try to get people to understand their body so intrinsically that their cadence is appropriate, their shin angle falls into place. And so that they're not thinking about their running and they can trust their body in their running. And, and, um, and uh, so that, yeah, that's where I'm at now. Which I know. It's an exciting journey because so it's something. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's an exciting journey, right? Because it's something that develops over time. So even your your theories, your mindset towards something, even small things like queuing a runner, you know, I'm sure that is something that you went through the phases in your career where you felt that was the way to go about it. And then you sort of develop to figure out where yeah. you're at right now. It's better for the individual to obviously figure these things out, become a more mindful runner. And obviously that's where inner runner comes in, right? It's the, the company that you've developed. Um, can you give us a little bit of information about that before we get on to um, the, the conversation about breathing and also just give yourself a little bit, a bit of a plug for anyone that would like to uh, get involved yeah so, so inner runner is um started well it's actually quite a weird 
on, on this journey, as you, you say, and the sort of evolution, at, at one point I had a tumor in my forearm, and I was kind of concerned that I wouldn't be able to treat um, with my hands anymore, and, and all I might die. <laughs> and so just to distract myself from, from the sort of whole process or to, to do something positive with a, with a very negative time, I used to go to, for long walks on the beach, and I used to think about a body part. So let's say I was today breathing, I'd Google the diaphragm and I'd see what it, what nerves innervated, where it attaches, what its function is. And then I'd go for like a two, two and a half hour walk on the beach and I'd think about nothing but the diaphragm. Or, you know, obviously you can't concentrate completely, but I'd, I'd, I'd hold my breath. I'd, I'd breathe the wrong way around. I'd, I'd think about the diaphragm and I'd explore all avenues that I could really try and understand what it was that the diaphragm did for humans. Um, and anyway, in a run of workshops were born out of this sort of trying to reframe everything and, and really get down to the what's the core fundamentals of running that we really do need to do. Um, you know, children run beautifully up until probably the age of 10 or 12, mostly. So a lot of times running is like a remembering or falling back to very, you know, we, we, like we kind of preloaded the software. If you go down to a running track, by and large, everyone runs exactly the same. And like, how did they all learn? Well, we copycat and so we imitate our parents, but also intrinsically we have these neural pathways and we have anatomy. Um, so the inner runner is just to sort of was born around that, trying to find out what it is the basics and fundamentals of running and trying to get that out. Um, so the things can sort of more important to say. And now we have the inner runner sort of community, which is, I do two online classes a week. On a Monday, I do just a general mobility class, uh, movement for people and runners and athletes. And we talk a lot about running, like the nuances of what does your foot do, what, is your, what do different parts of your body do. And on Wednesday, we do a mastery class. And on the mastery class, we do a deep dive into one section of running. So like the other day for mastery, we did a whole 40 minutes just in breathing. Ah, um, resetting your breathing, what it is, strengthening it, all the components of breathing. Um, Busy doing a, um, a inner runner workshop, which will be digital online, like a, a twelve module um, kind of cigarette hose. Okay, brilliant. Really to inner runner. Well, we'll make sure to to plug that into our show notes. So if any listener is interested, they can go and check it out and and get involved in your community because it really it sounds quite exciting. It, I, I personally see it on the day to day basis as well. And there's nothing better than a runner that is conscious of their movement and aware of what they need to do in order to get the most out of their movement. Um, you know, we can teach them as much as possible. But it, it comes down to that individual. And, and this is what today is about. You know, I want to I dive deep into breathing. Um, I know from our previous conversation that we had, my topic for you was just too broad. It was just too broad. It was running technique. So <laughs> I think uh, we, we've taken it back a step and we're just going to focus on one particular element. And a particular element I feel that um, a lot of runners don't really think about. Uh, you know, I, I'll start with... Uh, just a little intro to uh, my wife, the producer on the show, Leah. She 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 was saying that you know, like for me to to go and swim, I'm like worried because I feel like I'm going to hyperventilate, and it's something that I'm not comfortable with. And then I looked towards her and I said, you know, a lot of beginner runners when they start running, 
I think that is a similar fear that they have because they, they can, they, they have this fear of hyperventilation, of panic, and it comes down to being able to control your breathing. And what you were talking about to begin, you know, it's an auto autonomous sequence of events that happens that needs to happen naturally but i'm sure there are things that we can practice as individuals to become better so breathing for runners why is it such an important element and why do runners know so little about it um <laughs> you're asking too many questions <laughs> <laughs> loaded questions um Look, I, I think, I mean, I agree 100% with your sentiments. And I, I think the, like, the best way to, to frame this breathing out, because what we don't want to do is get distracted. And, and, and then, you know, there, there are people that are literally getting distracted with breathing. They think it's the hill they want to die on, and then it becomes the whole journey and a distraction. Ultimately, we want to enjoy our running more. And so to, let's start with the end in mind. Where do we want to go with breathing? Well, your your breathing system should be free, should be clear, there shouldn't be restrictions, um, it should be competent, it should be robust. And we want almost the breath of no breath. So we want our breathing to be so relaxed um, and at ease that you almost, um, there's a saying, the samurai used to hold a feather underneath their nose and if they could breathe and the feather didn't move, they were ready for battle. So that, like, you want to get into the stage where you, your breathing is, Functional, strong, <laughs> sorted, <laughs> as you can focus on running. Um, so that, that's where the end goes. A lot of people have restrictions in breathing. Runners, more so, like let's say I work a lot with triathletes now. And triathletes, because of breath holding, like tumble turning and swimming, uh, pushing off the wall, holding your breath underneath, using their chest as buoyancy, um, they can have breathing issues, but by and large, they breathe better than the average runner. Um, running... People can, let's say you're running and you always land on your right foot as you breathe in, you can start to develop a stitch or, or a tense diaphragm. And um, I'm sure you've all done a road race with someone like panting or gasping next to you and you go like, that seems a bit much. You know? so, so runners can get pretty stuck in their breath. Um, and it is interesting, is like some runners, I think their breath can get so stuck and held and their range or excursion of their breathing is, is limited. And then what happens is like, as an example, if you have a tight diaphragm, it's almost like, um, you know, the resonance on a musical instrument. If you turn the string tighter and tighter, the frequency goes up. So the tighter your diaphragm, the more frequent you're breathing, the more breaths you will take. Um, and you can end up hyperventilating, but or you can be overventilated. You can be breathing too much for the effort that you're doing. So, so there, there's that one element. Humans sitting, flexion is just, like it, it's like a wrecking ball for movement and posture. And so, like, again, when we sit, our diaphragm gets pushed up. So often we can, and our shoulders will get up. So, you know, there we are sitting with tight diaphragm and uppity shoulders and a tight pelvic floor, and that system is tight. And then you have a hard time relaxing and down regulating. There's a massive time with your parasympathetic and your sympathetic nervous system. And so, if your diaphragm's tight, if your shoulder's tight, if your pelvic floor's tight, you'll tend to be more stuck in a sympathetic drive. Um, and that affects your, your ability to rest and digest and your ability to sort of recover and respond to training. You, know, you don't get fit while you train, you get fit as a response to training. And a lot of people, there's a severance between the training and the response. You know? So like if I go into the sun, I don't get sun, sun tanned immediately. I go home and then my sun tan appears, right? So mm. a lot of people are, are, are too wound up, too wired, to almost absorb their training, they don't sleep properly, the sleep's not deep enough, 
their rest and digest isn't appropriate. And so you're not responding as much to the training to the work that you're doing. And, and breath can 100% be linked to that sense of parasympathetic sympathetic. And we um, often. And then trauma, like falling, you know, you sit to rest in your garden and you never get going again. Emotional trauma. Mm. There's a lot of reasons why, like, we've just come through the pandemic. A lot of people have. Uh, it, during the pandemic, in the first two or three weeks, they had people with back pain. A lot of people reaching out with back pain, back pain. And about, I don't know, about 35 people, I think 33 people resolved their back pain by breathing. Sure. And I think it's a really interesting, from my point of view at that stage, it is like there's a breathing crisis in the world and people are anxious and uptight. And sort of when that amplified just by teaching them to breathe. And, and there's, there's big studies out of, well, there's old studies out of Prague, um, genre, the, the physiotherapist in, in Prague, and they link almost 85% of all back pain to a breathing pattern disorder. Wow. So I think it is an elephant in the room, and I think it's really, really important, and I think it affects us on so many different levels. And then, like you say, the loaded question is, why doesn't anyone know about it? Why isn't anyone doing anything about it? Yeah, I think um, you've obviously explained why it is a loaded question. It's because it's multifaceted. Um, there's a lot of different elements. Just to, to go through the things that you were saying, um, obviously, there's practicing your breathing when you're running there's a big intentional element to it at first obviously it's something that we got to get to a point where as runners our breathing naturally gets into the right flow and it helps with our running rhythm that's for sure but you know i, I speak personally in my my own experiences breathing is not something that i've ever really thought about up until i actually started having to practice it and in the beginning, practicing breathing wasn't wasn't easy because now it's taking away from other mental processes that would naturally be the normal flow, what I would be thinking about when running. And then what I also found was extremely difficult yeah. is now to, to focus on breathing if you're running with people. Because obviously when you're running with people, you end up getting into the flow of whether it's a conversation that you're having or the natural uh, running rhythm that other people are holding. Um, so it becomes quite difficult for you to hold your own rhythm. Uh, when, when running socially, I'm talking, not, not, not on marathons or races where you are doing your own race and you're in your own zone, that's a different story. So I want to just touch point on that in particular. And just to go back to some of the other elements that you were saying, um, just the the sun tanning situation that you were talking about. Um, I often see it in, in practice as well. And it's a common thing that, that I'm sure you and I and a lot of other therapists around will tell people is, you know, it's not so much about what you're doing for that one hour when you are training in the gym or when you are going running, it's what is your body going through for the rest of that day. And I'm sure, you know, people that spend the entire day working in the office will be able to tell you straight away that, you know, going for a run early in the morning feels a hell of a lot different to going for for a run after a full eight hour day of sitting behind your desk. Um, but Lawrence, how do you, that, where does, where does a runner start? Let's say a runner realizes now that there's a need for improving their breathing. Um, where, where would you start? Um, no, noticing your breath first. So for the average runner, we can do a little test. We can do a little, um, um breathing test. We'll, we'll create structure for you. Okay. So, um, because you don't want, again, it can't be so complicated that breathing is such a rabbit hole. It just goes down so many sort of avenues. Um, 
you know, when, just in what you were saying, I'm thinking like, oh, okay, rhythm, running and breathing, running together, the different, you know, like each of these are a topic. Um, so, so for the average runner, don't panic. <laughs> we'll sort it out. Um, so, so uh, um, I mean, you touched on so many elements. Rhythm is huge because rhythm is one of the reasons you breathe at a rate is because of rhythm and running is all about rhythm. And anyway, talking to people <laughs> um, means you're, you're not running training too hard. A lot, of, I mean, a lot of beginner runners train too hard and they can't talk. And so it's really important to talk. And I, I would suggest that if you're talking and then breathing in and then talking, you're, you're, that's pretty healthy. <laughs> so let's just start there. Okay, good. Um, there's also an interesting element with, we're going to get into breath holding. Well, okay, we're going to do the breathe out test. I'm going to talk about why we want to do a breathe out test. But before that, there's an analogy of the Darth Vader case, which I like. Okay. Well, because I invented it. <laughs> I made it up. So, in, in, in Star Wars, Luke goes into the Darth Vader cave and he has this battle with Darth Vader and whatever. They have this big sword fight and there's fear and anxiety and he chops the guy's head off and he realizes, oh shit, the enemy was me. Okay. Um, the relevance of this is when you, you can be a badass and a lot of people will big up themselves or I'm, I'm, I'm a tough runner or I'm this and that or maybe, I don't know, you're a Navy SEAL and you just demand the most ferocious human that ever <laughs> human. If, if you get someone to hold their breath, very, very quickly they'll realize like, okay, I, I can't win. Like this is a, this is a, I'm going to fail at this part. Like I will have to breathe in or die or pass out. And, and, the sensation of holding your breath can often be really, really uncomfortable. And especially if you've had trauma, physical, emotional trauma, chemical trauma, whatever, you've been pretty beat up. And so I think what we need to recognize when we, when we approach breath work and breath holding, and why this is important is in, if you're working or giving advice to someone, is you don't want to get them into a state where breathing becomes anxious or breathing becomes a movement problem that you can't solve. Because if you give people movement problems they can't solve, they feel movement done. Okay, so it's like a math problem. You give kids a math problem they can't solve, they think they're not good at math. And so I approach myself, I approach breathing very, very, very gently and very, very proactively and because of that. And, and you'll be surprised. Like, you, you, you know, if you want to empty out your practice, just get everyone to do breath holding. <laughs> because a lot of people don't want to go there. They don't want to respond to it. I'm a world-class athlete. You suck at holding breath. You start doubting yourself, doubting, and so that, that we really do want to approach this from a from a positive sort of standpoint. Um, okay, so that's that's like a disclaimer out of the way. Mm. Um, one of the things I think that that people don't realize is is we have oxygen. Everyone knows oxygen is really important. We don't really know the role of carbon dioxide, and carbon dioxide is not a waste gas. Okay, so when we breathe out, we breathe, we breathe in oxygen, and we kind of breathe out carbon dioxide as a result of your sort of metabolism. The carbon dioxide is not a waste gas. It has a function. And one of its functions is the bronchodilator that opens up the, the pipes to your lungs. And it's a vasodilator. And so, like, again, talking, when I was doing, I did a, a, a splinty spine class, and on the one class we did diaphragm release. About 300 or so people did this. But four people emailed me afterwards, and their plantar fascia cleared up after the diaphragm release class. Um, which I think is quite significant. Like that's four out of 300, and not to say everyone had plantar fasciitis, right? And, and they'd had plantar fascia issues for 18 months or a year or two years. Oh. And so there's this really, one of the reasons is because, and so for foot injuries, 
and extremity injuries, I often think, I often, not often, I will always hold in the back of my mind, perhaps there's a central breathing problem. And, and anyway, we, so we go back to carbon dioxide. It's a vasodilator. If you can increase your carbon dioxide levels in your bloodstream to an appropriate level, you find it's a vasodilator and you get better circulation. And I think it makes a bigger difference at the extremities. Like you, you have um, you know, vasodilation and increased blood flow into your plantar fascia, it's going to heal better. And oh. so I think that there, that's a massive, massive component. So there's, there's a really good in, reason why you'd want to work on breathing in just in general. Um, health, injury, recovery. Okay. So, so the carbon dioxide works like this. We have sensors in our brain that measure carbon dioxide, and that's the primary stimulus to breathe, not oxygen. So if you hold your breath, you're going to want to breathe because of carbon dioxide builder, not because of oxygen depletion. Okay. And most people will breathe again before they, if you put a pulse oximeter on your finger, you'll, you'll be, if you hold your breath, you'll breathe before your oxygen level actually drops. Most people. Um, so athletes are pretty motivated, maybe not. Okay. Um, so this carbon dioxide sensitivity is huge and it's a good indicator of your breathing health. And so we're going to do a breathe out test <laughs> and we'll measure the carbon dioxide um, sensitivity in our brain. And, and so it's almost like your, your, your carbon dioxide sensor in most people's brain is too sensitive and it's stimulating to breathe prematurely or overbreathe. And that's probably the safest way to get into breathing is to realize, okay, I need to decrease my sensitivity to carbon dioxide. So I run a more carbon dioxide rich mixture in my bloodstream and that will promote bronchodilation. It will make your breathing easier and vasodilation it will improve your circulation. Sure. And I think that's a great segue into <laughs> into breath and starting to understand, okay, this is where I'm at, and this is kind of where I want to go to, and this is a, a way to get there. And have safe, fuzzy feelings about this, not, you know, don't try too hard. Okay. So should we do, there's two breathe-out tests. One is from Patrick McKeon, Oxygen Advantage, who's a, probably the leading breath guy in the world at the moment. And he does a bold score of, I don't know what Bolt School stands for now. Breathe out something. Fit. Well, let's do it. I'm keen. No, blood, oxygen, I don't know. Anyway, just as, as, a, just yeah. as a disclaimer, if you're someone that's going for a run, if you're in the middle of your run right now, you're pro probably not the best time to do a breathe out test. No. Okay. So you got to be, you got to no, be so stationary. You're busy with you running, you listen to yeah, this is, this is at home and stationary and typically on an empty stomach and not immediately after exercise will, will, can sort of affect it. But if you're, if you're on a run now and say, well, I want to know what I need to do about my run, my breathing right now, what you should do is notice your breathing and notice your breathing rate. So try and figure out like how many breaths in per step you take. So do you, do you breathe in two steps and out two steps? Notice. Okay, so try and figure out what your breathing rate is. And then generally speaking, the first thing that you want to do on easy runs is stretch out how um, you're breathing out. So let's say you're running along, you're breathing in two steps, out two steps. Try and make it breathe in two steps, out for three steps. And see if you can do that. And, and add another step to your breathing out. And you, you slowly want to grow your breathing out. I think a, a healthy range for people to get in terms of breathing on easy runs, long runs, and endurance runs, would be you know, endurance means different things to different people. But on your easy run, <laughs> your level two, so up to 70% of your maximum heart rate 
is it being able to breathe in three steps and out four steps. Okay, well, for the people that aren't on a run, let's go over that breathe out test so that they can try and get an idea of their score. Right, so, so for most people, the, the two tests, there's a BOLT test, um, BOLT score, which is from Patrick McKeon and Oxygen Advantage, and um, it's the body oxygen level test. But it doesn't actually, it, so, and it's quite a good function because it, it, it gives a good indication of um, breathlessness in people and also almost your breathing state as an athlete, which is quite interesting that you can do a really, really simple test and, and we kind of know um, how you function as an athlete and your recovery from efforts in, in, in an athlete. Um, so, and I think it's a good introduction to realizing something as simple as how long you can hold your breath for can actually um, have implications for what, it, what you feel like when you're running. Do you feel out of breath? Do you recover from intervals quicker? Um, what's your appropriate relationship with carbon dioxide and the sense of discomfort that carbon dioxide brings you. Okay, So a breathe-out test works like this. We're gonna, um, you take a normal breath in and a normal breath out. And after you breathe out like a normal breath, you're going to hold your breath and you're going to block the nose. And we time how long that goes on for. So we can do one in sort of real time now. Perfect. to get a timer out. Um, so, Lawrence, do you, do you breathe in okay. through your so nose think, okay. or do you breathe so in through your mouth? No, breathe in through nose, then out through nose, then block nose. Okay, let's try it. Yeah, so, so normal breath in, normal breath out through the nose, I'm going to block my nose, and, we're gonna, and then we'll start. But uh, sorry, I, I messed that up. So, normal breath out through nose, after you breathe out, you block your nose and you hold, and then I'll count out. 40 seconds. Okay, in 10 second increments. Okay, so let's ready everyone. Let's breathe go. in through nose, out through nose, hold your breath. Okay, and while you're holding your breath, you're going to breathe in again at the first distinct desire to breathe in. If you have involuntary muscle contractions or if you feel anxious or panicky, you're going to breathe in. You're going to, you're going to stop with this. Okay, and in in terms of what is the score? What are we looking for? Okay, um, I'm just going to go. Some people thirty seconds. Some people might still be holding their breath. Okay, <laughs> well they they can hold their breath and listen. <laughs> <laughs> and there's forty seconds. Okay, so so Nick, you you breathe in at twenty seconds, and twenty seconds is okay. It's it's kind of where a lot of athletes are. We in a high performing athlete, or if you want, um, yeah, in a high performing athlete, or really helpful if you, if you want to push it, you'd like to stretch that out to 40 seconds, which is a long time. Um, if you if you almost, you know, some people will find an urge to breathe after almost immediately, like at five seconds, they really want to breathe and, mm. and probably can't last 10 seconds. Then you definitely that's an indication you definitely don't have a healthy breathing system. Um, and you want to improve it and you want to work on it. So cool. So that's so a very, very sort of quick test um, and, and, and simple test. And you, you basically want to move it out to 40 seconds is, would be a great a goal. Um, the second score is, is, which I actually use way more than the bolt score. I, I feel it's, it takes longer, but I kind of feel we get more consistent results and people have a, um, is a breathe out test. And then it's pretty similar. We take, 
three reasonably big breaths in. And on the third breath, you hold your breath and you slowly, slowly, slowly breathe out. And you then you time how long you breathe out for. Okay, so as you're going to go one, two, and on my third breath, I take a deep breath in and then I breathe out. I just trickle air out through my nose and I time how long I breathe out for. Um, and that breathe out test is a similar test. And with the breathing out test for um, the range is, is, is interesting. I, I feel it gives you more range. So I kind of like it. So again, you don't want, you want to be north of 20 seconds, 40 seconds. 40, it's a little bit of a different test. 40 seconds is um, achievable for most. And we want half of a minute, but probably in the 80 second range. Sure. You should be able to breathe out slowly for 80 seconds. Um, wow. So those are the two tests. Like I said, bolt is normal breath in, normal breath out. Try and get it to 40 seconds. Now, now, Lawrence, what yeah. would you say is sort of a normal score on, on that second test? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that have tried that now and they, they, they'll they feel like they, they're miles away from 40 seconds or even 80 seconds, as you suggest. No, the, the breathing out test is not as... <laughs> you, you, carbon, so both of these tests build up a carbon dioxide in your system. Okay. And your brain basically doesn't like it and it says, okay, I want to breathe now. But if you had a pulse oximeter on your finger, it's very unlikely. In, in, certainly in the bolt score in the first one where you, you know, you normal breath in, normal breath out, there is no danger that your oxygen levels have depleted enough to even measure it on a pulse oximeter in, in, in 20 seconds. Okay. So it's not a lack of oxygen you're experiencing. It's a buildup of carbon dioxide. So both of them are, are carbon dioxide sensitivity tests. And okay. it indicates that you, you in general, you're over-breathing or you, you're breathing too, too inefficiently, too many breaths a minute where your breathing would be softer, more relaxed and slower. And we want to increase our carbon dioxide level because basically you'll get a, a vasodilation effect and increased circulation. Okay. Um, and and there's, different, there's two different ways to go about this. You can just practice a lot of breath holding and slowly your brain gets more and more sensitive, uh, less sensitive to carbon dioxide. So that's, if you do Patrick McKinnon oxygen advantage, that's his, it's, a lot of it is restricted breathing or breath holding to get there. Interestingly enough, what we find is if you take out diaphragm adhesions, if you, if you relax your intercostal muscles and your accessory breathing muscles, if you learn to breathe within patterns, um, so Breath should basically, your spine should move when you breathe. So when you breathe in, you should gently arch, and when you breathe out, you should gently round. Okay, it's not exactly how it works, but it's a, it's a very good pass. It's a pass of a distinction. Um, and it, a lot of people, let's say you've had a trauma, you fell, and you, or you had whiplash, or you were stuck in a fright, um, which is common. Like you slipped in a banana peel and your head jerked forward. You'll find that people end up with reciprocal breathing. So if you say to them, take a deep breath in and arch around and they don't think about it, what they'll do is they'll do it the other way around. So they'll, when they breathe, I've got to think about this, <laughs> when they breathe out, they'll arch, so they'll, they'll go, <clears throat> yeah. and, then, <clears throat> and then their breath is stuck. And if you're stuck in that breath, then you're going to have a very inappropriate bolt score. If you soften your breathing, so like, you know, in the beginning of the, the test, we did that sort of block your nose and gently breathe in and do that five or ten times. If you're someone with a very stuck diaphragm, you'll find that your bolt score will immediately improve just by initiating your diaphragm, just by getting your diaphragm to work. Sure. Um, if your breathing is very, very stuck and restricted, you can uh, 
practice breathing in, arching, breathing out, rounding. So you almost become like a bellows. You almost use your body to pump air in and out of you. If, if you can see me, what I'm doing now is I'm breathing in and arching. All my ribs and intercostals are opening up and I'm creating length and space and I'm almost like squeezing the air out. And if you can do that with your diaphragm, um, just on a, on a pretty basic level, you often find people's bold score improves. And, and that's very much how I work. Like let's say in a runner that has too low a cadence, I want to fix the reason why their cadence is low, not ask them to increase their cadence. Interesting. And so with, I'm the same with breathing. I'd like to get behind the thing that's restricting your breathing and making it not appropriate. But I do think um, in the modern day, your eyes and breath are linked. There's a thing called breath, uh, email apnea or screen apnea. If you read an email, um, the anticipation of an email makes people hold their breath. And looking at school, small screens also has a similar effect. So looking at small screens and reading emails, basically you can have bad breathing patterns just from, they call it screen apnea or email apnea. But, but I, I, as a modern human, it's kind of like brushing your teeth. Like if you're not working on your breathing, you're making mistakes. In the modern day, you know, if you're eating sugary, whatever, you're not brushing your teeth, you're making, you're not doing it right. Okay? <laughs> Everyone needs to be working on breathing. And, and Lawrence, and the trick is to find a sustainable... Mm-hmm. Is that something that obviously then, when you're saying working on breathing, you you ex- you would like people to work on it throughout their daily life? Uh, so at times when obviously not during running, even when they're at work, just taking time out and practicing it. And obviously the more they practice that throughout the day, the better, more subconscious the behavior is going to be when they are running. Does it translate like that? So say if people practice three, four times a day and then they go and, and, and run, will their breathing naturally become better at in running as well if they only practice it in their daily life? Um, yeah, for sure. That you improve someone's breathing. I mean, like their whole relationship to running can change. And we've, we've seen this. We've seen people go, you know, go talking cheap, like, like we have breathing adhesion. I, like, we, I worked with a pro athlete the other day, um, and I, for various reasons, and I know her breath was particularly stuck for her and to be particularly high performing before. But, you know, we did diaphragm stretches and releases, and her, her resting heart rate dropped, I think like 25 beats. Sheepers. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's quite an extreme example, you know what I mean? And then it drifted up again later, but it, it, it really, it makes a massive, massive difference. And so we've seen people's blood lactate shift from sort of a blood lactate shift that just accumulates. The harder they go, the more and more blood lactate they produce into sort of a flat line. So as they speed up, like basically the blood lactate stays low, 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 and then drifts up later. So you know, you see people's entire physiology change from, from sorting out breathing. Um, so functionally and practically, what do people do? There's a, there's a thing called 365, which helps you think about it. So um, three times a day, slow your breathing down to six breaths per minute and do that for five minutes. Yeah. So 365. But it, it, so it helps. So there's a really good app on, on, on your um, phone. It's called the Breathing App. Okay. Um, and Deepak Chopra was involved in it. And it's actually powerful, powerful, because what it does is it, if you breathe along, there's a little ball that gets bigger and smaller, and it makes a noise, and then you can breathe along to the ball. And what it does is they call it resonance breathing or coherence breathing. It basically syncs up your brain waves, your heart waves, and your breathing waves. And people, I mean, it's an extraordinarily powerful thing. Wow. And they've linked this to sort of saying the rosary. When people say the rosary, you end up breathing at 
you end up, if you say the rosary and breathe in, you'll end up breathing more or less six times a minute. Or Buddhists, when they meditate, is this, this current theme of six breaths per minute. So slowing your breathing down in practice and during the day is a, is a fantastic mental and emotional and life-changing thing that people should do. The trick is to, to do something that you resonate with, that you enjoy, that's sustainable, and then that's not too much. But it, so it is going to make a really difference. really matter how you approach it. It's going to make a huge difference, and it changes people's lives more profoundly than just your running experience because, like, it's almost like in life-saving, when people hyperventilate or overventilate, you make bad decisions. Your options are narrow. It, it, it's um, even your, you know, your pupil diameter changes. Mm. So how you see the world changes, you, you end up having tunnel vision. And you shouldn't make decisions if you're breathing is bad because you can make bad decisions. That's so, so the ramifications of breath through movement, injury, the health and lifestyle. And like I said, the, the trick is to start small and like you brush, you know, people brush their teeth for basically five minutes a day. Mm. But everyone basically does it because it's habit, it's routine, it's ingrained. And that's what you want to do with breathing is make a tiny little bit every single day and make it a habit. And then you're always aware of it. Um, you know, so, so the first thing is awareness. We've created a way possibly your bolt score is not where it should be. Now what do we do about it? One of the things is just slow your breathing down for as little as... I, I think you need to do it about 10 minutes worth of mindfulness in your breath a day to make a difference. It's probably the dose. Thanks for that. I think it's a, it's super interesting what we're talking about here. And, you know, we've entered it nicely. We've, we've spoken about why it is important. We've chatted about the physiology of it, which I thought was extremely interesting in terms of the fact that, you know, people think that it's the oxygen that causes us to to want to breathe but it's actually the opposite it's what it's the role of uh, carbon dioxide and we sort of look at that as a as a negative but if we can make our body less uh, susceptible to it we'll be able to to calm our breathing down and we've we, you've seen it how it affected your athletes how it's affected everything else in terms of their heart rate and all of those things which i find extremely interesting uh, and we've given some practical advice as well in terms of what runners can do throughout their daily life to actively change their breathing and become a little bit more in tune with their body. Um, but now in terms of practically as a runner, um, I know that there's a lot of like things out there as well that people, you know, when you chat to people, there's different theories. There's people that believe you, you should be uh, breathing through through your mouth there's people that believe you should believe through your nose some believe that it's a it's a combination thing like what is your thought process i know what you're going to tell me but uh, perhaps you can just chat a little bit about all those elements and i know i'm probably opening up another can of worms but i'm, I'm happy to because mm -hmm. it's obviously something that is a little bit misunderstood and then also practically when you're running there's people that you know think you should be breathing out when you're landing or breathing in when you're landing because it's going to affect this type of issue when you're running or create this injury um give us some thoughts there lawrence um okay so <laughs> so so what to do as well we 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 spoke about so what to do as a runner and, and thinking about breathing and healthy breathing and then let's let's get this into sort of a healthy space and reframe it. So um, we we spoke about you probably need to work on your breathing every day and be sort of gently mindful on it. And so while you're running, it's a fantastic time to work on your breathing. You're out there, you're exercising. Um, it's one of the things you can think about. Okay, 
I'm going to bring in this notion that breathing should be variable. Okay, so so we you might have heard of heart rate variability. Like, so we want our heart rate not every beat to be the same. We want variability in our heart rate because it indicates a system that's not as stressed. When we stress, our heart beat tend to be very very same. So it's like that 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 that, and there's no real variability. And this is massively linked to breathing. So as we breathe in, we create this. Um, we, we actually facilitate blood return as we breathe out. We help facilitate sort of in general terms, um, blood to move away from our heart. Okay. So, um, breathing in, you create negative pressure in your chest and it kind of helps your heart and breathing out sort of along those lines. Okay. So if your breathing is relaxed, your heart beats are often relaxed and your heart rate variability changes. Um, we talked about the role of carbon dioxide as a, as, a, as a primary drive for breathing, so build up of carbon dioxide makes you want to breathe. Yes, if you have lack of oxygen, you can also want to breathe more. But one of the other ones is you have a rhythm center, and the rhythm center also drives breathing. And this, this taps into running. So when we run, we want variability and ease in our breathing in our heart <laughs> because it, it really has profound implications in, in terms of endurance and performance. Um, if we if we think about someone like let's say you know you could be a little bit nervous on a podcast, but imagine if you had to deliver a speech in front of ten thousand people, a hundred thousand people, you're probably going to throw up. So, but if you're calm and relaxed, and you 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 completely unwind, and there's nice music and good lighting, then you can eat like a horse. Okay, so so a lot of people are stressed, and then the nutrition doesn't work as well as they'd like it to work because they're so stressed and anxious. <laughs> Um, and this will happen typically, like we see it often in, in Ironman um, or in triathlons, where the nutrition worked just fine in training, but it didn't work on the race day. And then, you know, people throw the nutrition under the bus, but probably you were overstimulated, over-aroused, you, you were in an anxious state, and you didn't get as much blood flow to your stomach, and there wasn't enough sort of parasympathetic element to your, your breathing. So so if you can if we can structure that, it, in terms of rhythm, variability, E, um, when your diaphragm relaxes, your parasympathetic nervous system sort of is more robust or has a, because you can exist, it's not either or, you're not either you're sympathetic or parasympathetic, you can kind of have both, and in, in exercise, you, there is some sympathetic arousal, but we want to carry our parasympathetic along with, um, and then nutrition tends to work better, and breathing and decision making works better, you know, if you're working in multi-sport athletes like rugby, it's really, really important to have a robust breathing system because the athletes will make better decisions on the field. Okay, so this is the framework of, of breathing. So within that, um, as a runner, you're going for a run, notice how many, notice your breaths, so two breaths in, two breaths out, per step is, is sort of common. Some people gasp, some people go like, <gasps> so you might find your, your breathing is very, very short and rapid and you're breathing out a little slow and other people do it the other way around naturally. So they'll, they'll sort of... Um, Breathe in slowly, like, and then they'll done. Um, and, and you tend to see that as you run fast, one, one or the other become more apparent. Um, very few people, only, well, mostly people from a swimming background tend to have controlled breathing when they run because when you swim, you're controlling your breathing. Okay? Um, so that might be something that you learned. I'm not sure what the correct way to breathe is when you're running hard. I, I think it varies from athlete to athlete. Okay? We'll touch on that a little bit later. What we do want to do, so like if you restrict your nose and you breathe in immediately, that restriction increases your diaphragm engagement. And so 
most people, if you want healthy breathing, the number one thing you want to do is nose breathe as much as possible. And the most important time to nose breathe is when you sleep at night. And so you'll, you'll read articles about people taping their mouth to help them nose breathe when they sleep at night. Um, it can freak you out, but it's, it's well worth exploring. You might need medical intervention to get this done. So some people don't have great breathing apparatuses and you have sinus issues and, and swollen turbinates and you can't breathe. Um, breathing at night when you sleep is a, is a really, really good idea. So when you wake up in the morning, your mouth should be moist. If you wake up with a dry mouth in the morning, your mouth breathing when you sleep at night, and what happens, you'll get dental caries, you'll get holes in your teeth, but that your nose adds nitric oxide, which is a bronchodilator. So nose breathing is 15, about 15% more efficient than mouth breathing. Oh. But also, you look after your lungs. It's less inflammatory in your lungs. Um, and this can have big implications. Like let's say you're a Tour de France cyclist and you spend 30 hours a week in your bike and it's all mouth breathing. That's a lot of time to, to irritate your lungs. And um, so nose breathing is really important. This is not a hill I think people, you'll see people taping their mouth shut and going for runs so that they can only nose breathe. Um, I'm, I'm far more gentle than that. I think solve the basics. Nose breathe when you sleep at night and you might need medical intervention to help you to do that. Um, for most people, you can, yes, just take your mouth shut and you can Google it. <laughs> you spend your resources and that'll make you nose breathe and then very, very quickly you, you tend to nose breathe. And if people think that this is anxious or anxiety driven, um, taping your mouth, you could open your mouth at any stage. Like you, you shouldn't, you know, you're not duct taping your mouth shut so that you can't. Um, you're using a light tape and you, you can open your mouth if you want to. There's actually myo tape and specific mouth nose breathing tape that allow you to mumble or, or drink water so that you're not sort of gagged. Um, but most people find it pacifying and really relaxing. So it's almost like a, a, a baby with a dummy and they find that it helps put them to sleep. It becomes That's so pain. interesting. If you nose breathe at night, you'll sleep and recovery goes through the roof. Okay. Then most people can walk and nose breathe. So that might be a good entry point for you. You might find that, you know, um, I talk a lot. And we're talking a lot now, and that's mouth breathing. And you, you can find yourself anxious and uptight, and your shoulders start to lift. And um, if you breathe in through your mouth, your shoulders will lift. And if you tend to breathe in through your nose, as we discovered, your, your diaphragm tends to initiate it, draws your breath down. Okay, so so this will set you up in a framework is practice nose breathing when you sleep at night, practice nose breathing when you're walking. <laughs> okay, and then easy running. You can nose breathe, or you can start your running nose breathing. And that's a form of breath holding or restricted breathing because it might, might be challenging for you. The more you practice nose breathing, the stronger your nose gets, the more robust your breathing system, the less inflamed, the better your sinuses work. So that's something, if you, if you, if you battle with sinuses, if you battle with inflamed nose, the more you nose breathe, the healthier that system gets. But bear in mind, if you're sleeping seven to eight hours a night, that's a great place to strengthen your nose while you're sleeping because your recovery gets better. Now we get into, so some people can nose breathe right up to 90% of their maximum heart rate. You know, they have wow. noses like a racehorse. Uh, so here, it's interesting. Humans are the only mammals that mouth breathe, okay? Like horses race and breathe through their noses. Um, when, a horse starts, when a horse starts panting with opens his mouth and breathing with his mouth, you've got to pull back. It's going to die. Um, okay? And dogs will pant to cool. But otherwise, you know, and we suppose noses are for breathing, mouths are for eating. Um, 
chewing and your jaw structure frames your face. A lot of babies, you know, we eat gerba and we eat whatever processed foods and we just don't have the jaw structure we should have for teeth. And there's a whole, I think James Nestor's book, Breath, really goes through the, the relevance of, of breathing and strengthening your jaw and framing your face and creating a big healthy breathing structure. Um, but, um, this is a structure, your bones of your face can change, your your jaw can get bigger, your jaw line can get bigger and more developed and you can um, basically frame your, your face. And so, I know, I know this is a lot I know, but anyway, the correct posture for your tongue is really, really important. Your tongue should put your palate up and if you're pushing your palate up behind your nose, there's a billiard ball size space of with a surface area of like a tennis ball or something. So there's a lot of turbulence and there's a lot of place where we cool air, moisten air, filter out viruses and pollutants and particles, and we add nitric oxide. And we want to use that. And if you breathe through your mouth, that's all bypass. Um, if your mouth breathes, your shoulders will tend to this. So if, it, if you take a deep breath in through your mouth, you'll also notice your chest initiates first, at the top of your chest pops up. If you mm. take a deep breath in through your nose. That's so true. You'll find that your diaphragm or your breath crawls in lower, in more to the bottom of your lungs. And if you restrict your nose, you definitely have a sensation that air is drawn deep into your lungs. And we want that when we run. So practicing that, don't go too crazy. Okay. So the correct, correct posture for your tongue is your whole tongue, including the back of your tongue, should push up into your palate, which is the roof of your mouth. Um, most people, if you just close your mouth and think about what's my tongue doing, a lot of people's tongue push into the front teeth. So you'll have a tip of your tongue pushing into the back of your front teeth. And that's not how you want it to be. Okay? Very few people will have a tongue on the bottom of the palate if there's a push up, but some people do that. Um, and so you want your tongue pushing up into your palate, your teeth lightly apart and your lips closed is the proper posture for, for your mouth. Okay, so mouth. Lips are closed, my teeth are lightly apart, and my big tongue is pushing up in my palate. And that will help support your breathing in your nose. Okay? So you can do, I think it's called mewling. I'm not actually sure what mewling is, but it sticks in my mind. It feels like it's mewling. So you can push the back of your tongue up into your palate. You can roll your tongue, so starting at the back until the forward. So I'm really like, mm. I'm pushing the back of my tongue up into my palate and then rolling forward. And the back of my tongue and then rolling forward. And you'll often feel like a stretching thing in your jaw and you'll feel the stretching sort of um, at the back of your tongue. And relaxing those muscles and allowing a big soft tongue to push up in your palate, um, lips closed, teeth lightly apart, practice that posture with a relaxed jaw when your nose breathing and walking and when your nose breathing and you're breaking into running. And if you're one of those lucky people, you can go right up to 80% of your maximum heart rate nose breathing before you need to actually breathe with your mouth. Um, if you're like me, my one palate, my one nose is much sort of more closed than the other one. I, I can't do it. I can only get up to about 65 or 70% of my maximum heart rate nose breathing. So what I'll tend to do is breathe in through my nose and then out through my mouth. Keeps me going a little quicker. And yes. then when I run intervals, I mouth breathe. Um, and I think a lot of, like, you'll see people trying to prove a point of dying on a hill of trying to work too hard and then I was breathing and then you're starting to get distracted. It's not necessary. Like the big ones are sleep with your nose, walk with your nose breathing, think about your nose posture a lot and relax your system so that you can forget about breath. 
I think it was, I think you, you broke it down you, and you brought it back around. It, it goes back to what we were saying at the start of the conversation that, you know, it, it is far more preferable to practice this uh, type of breathing behavior throughout our daily life rather than just making it your purpose throughout just the run and then forgetting about it for the rest of the day. And I, I, I like the fact, and there's obviously no right answer. Everyone is individual in their anatomy as well. You know, like you say, with, with people that have different issues, breath-wise, uh, surgically, they might need that type of assistance. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. I think it's extremely important to find what works best for you. But it, it is interesting, you know, I find it extremely useful. The moment I started focusing a little bit more on my nose breathing when running, I just found it a lot easier to get into a rhythm. And especially mm. when, when working at a tempo, so up to a marathon uh, pace, I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a really nice behavior to try and adapt to. Um, I find that it, it does become quite difficult the moment I try and work on anything a little bit faster than that. And, and then I do try and adapt more to the, the breathing in through the nose and breathing out through the mouth. But you, so based on what you're saying, there isn't really a specific technique that some runners can can work on. So say at, at a given intensity, so if we had to work it on the most basic intensities, so like an easy, a moderate, and a, a hard intensity, obviously then the easy is just trying to stay as relaxed as you can and get it coming in and out through the nose. At a moderate, perhaps what you're saying is then in through the nose, out through the mouth. And then obviously at a higher intensity, it's a lot easier to just get it in through the mouth. Would I be correct in sort of trying to break it up that way? Yeah. Um, yes, but like the ability to nose breathe and run is, is very variable between people. I mean, some people can't nose breathe and walk and some people can, 90% of your maximum heart rate yeah, will nose hard. breathe. So, so I guess you can improve your situation and, and like I say, support it from the back end, especially with sleep and with habits. Um, and, and then it's sort of going to depend on where you are. But if you can go hard and nose breathe, do it, you know, like for sure. Like if you can, and if you can do intervals or lactate sort of sessions or okay reps and you're breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth, for sure do it. Um, but then, then it becomes sort of almost like individual. I think for most people, on easy runs and long runs is increase your exhale. So, so and, and okay, so, so let's back this up. So breathing is mindfulness. If you, if you, no one can think of nothing. So if you want to meditate or if you want to sort of clear your mind or not obsess about something that you're obsessing about, a thing that you can think about is your breath. You can notice your breath in and out. And so there's a whole segue of sort of mindfulness and being present in the moment um, and mantras or, or that, and your rhythm center, that, that I think is quite pretty good to explore. Um, so so the, and these things all sync up. So like, let's say you're running, well, you're running one comrade. You 100%, you should have mantras, or you're running a marathon, you should have a mantra. Yeah, so, and, and they sound so cheesy when you say them out loud, but you can figure out them. So, so like a mantra would be, um, I, my, one of mine used to be the longer, the stronger. I just used to say it again and again, the longer, the stronger, the longer, the stronger. Okay. But if you figure that out, you'll probably find that you're saying that in time to your breathing. So that was me going two breaths in, the longer, and then two breaths out, the stronger. 
Um, now, I, I, you know, I would like something with a with a three breath in and a four breath out cadence. I think you could sh- you should be running comrades something along that. So you're going to say like, uh, and you should talk to yourself in the third person. I don't know if you know that. Like that's, that's very important. But you should say you. <laughs> the longer you go, the stronger, stronger you, you get. Go. You know, something along those lines. And then and then you have a mantra, and you're going breathing in like and the cadence on the steps in and then the steps out. Why I've, I've sort of chosen on the three seven is because it's ultimate. So you'll end up breathing in on a different step. A lot of people breathe in on the same step. So their rhythm would be like breathe in when their right foot hits the ground, breathe in when their right foot hits the ground. And some people get stitches from that. So if you're someone with a, with a strong side stitch, you might want to swap your breathing pattern onto the other foot. Sure. It's much easier just to have a, a, an odd number breathing pattern. So there's that sort of element of it. So, and I think most people as well, you don't appreciate. If you take a deep breath in and you hold it, you're less flexible. And if you breathe out, you'll find you more flexible. And breathing, so breathing changes the tensegrity or the tension in your body. Um, and if your breathing is very relaxed when you're running and you're pretty in the moment, you'll notice as you breathe in, you tend to be slightly more tense and your breathing, your steps, and how you interact with the ground will change. And as you breathe out, you'll find you get more flexible and how you almost like land and hit the ground. You're more grounded um, is, a, is a way of thinking about it. And if you can feel the tension or the, the change in the tension in your body when you're breathing, you're probably breathing, relaxing, you're probably doing a good job. Whereas if your breath's pretty anxious, if you just go, yeah, yeah. you're not going to notice any difference between the tension in your body. And I think that that's a good indicator that your breathing is variable and relaxed enough that your heart is likely to be variable and that you're likely to be doing it right. And if you can link that with mantras, you'll start to be, you do what you can in the moment to set yourself up for success in the future. That a lot of people get ahead of themselves and think ahead of themselves. Um, and interesting enough, mouth breathing, breathing to the top of the chest is a great way to get you up into your head and overthink things. So in the Start of this when we did the nose breathing and the diaphragm, and you notice, like, yeah, I feel a little different. I, I view the world a little different. I feel a little bit more calmer. The calmer and more grounded, and the more you use your diaphragm, the more you get out of your head and into your body. And that's an element that I think people should incorporate. Is, is when you're running, you should be out of your head. Your mind should be calm. You should be more embodied. And breathing is a great way to get into that state. <laughs> Yeah. And a great way to keep it to that they can practice it. And then now you're killing a lot of birds with one stone. You're learning to be a more mindful human. You're being more calm. You're being more grounded. You're working on your breathing. You're, you can have a better relationship to your running, possibly your injuries. And then it's doing that while you're doing the thing that you love. And then that seems pretty sustainable to me. I think, you know, what you're saying just makes so much sense, Lawrence. And it's important that people also understand that the diaphragm that you're talking about, you know, is a muscle. It's a muscle that we'll need to develop with time and get used to it. So now if you're someone listening to this and um, you perhaps have signed up for comrades, you know, you want to start practicing your breathing today. You don't want to wait until 
the 9th of June and now you're going to decide this is the breeding technique I'm going to do because Lauren said I must do it and then you you yeah. are going to struggle because your muscle needs to get adapted it needs to adapt to the new stimulus so it's a, a and and before we sort of wrap the conversation up Lawrence I just want to ask you you mentioned swimming and you know I personally feel that swimming is a great way for runners first of all to to deload especially during times where their training volume isn't as high but does it have good benefit on helping them become more in tune with their breathing yeah yeah so, so one point really really important you should never unless you're lifting heavy weights and listen to your, your the person that's helping you lift heavy weights um you should almost never ever hold your breath through exercise um and so we, like a good example of this is rowers. Rowers will hold their breath when they when they push, and they often get a bit of back pressure, and they can they get very large hearts, and they can pull their, their valves apart, and they get basically heart murmurs. And um, so for swimmers, very very importantly, you must constantly be breathing. Do not hold your breath while you swim. Okay, so you've got to either you're constantly breathing out or you're breathing in. Don't. A lot of swimmers and amateur swimmers will go. <gasps> <gasps> You never want to hold your breath during endurance exercise, okay? So you should, if, if you're that, that's where you are, that's the most important thing when you're swimming is learn to breathe freeing, okay? So like when my child learned to breathe, it was bubbles, bubbles, breathe. Bubbles, bubbles, breathe, okay? So you definitely practice bubbles, bubbles, breathe. Do not hold your breath when you're swimming. That's the most important thing for, for, for someone that's not good at swimming. Um, but yeah, swimming's a great segue. I, I love aqua running, dude. I mean, I tell people this, and not a lot, not a lot of people have the, the, the wherewithal to do it, but I love aqua jogging. Deep walks are aqua jogging when you're floating. I think your your lungs work against the resistance of the water, um, and I think you have very, very good fascia connections. And I think aqua jogging is the best thing for your running form, for your health of your fascia. It can really help you breathing because you, you learn to relax in the water and breathe more relaxed and it strengthens your breathing system. Um, and you get time off your feet, and, and um, so I, I love aqua, aqua running, aqua jogging. I don't like saying I don't like jogging, aqua running. Um, and yeah, swimming can be fantastic as a, as a sort of a cross training or, or something different for runners to do or, or float. Um, Brilliant. So yeah, um, I think there's massive benefits in there, and and just pure breath holding. So there is a there is a place for actually you can run and breath hold. And you can run and do intervals with breath holding. So it's something you, you need to be informed of this and you need always to do it safely. So when people hold their breath, you can pass out. So anytime you do breath holding work, if you're doing breath holding work at home, make sure that if you pass out and fall, you're not going to get hurt. You can't do it on a step ladder or, or sitting in a chair where you could fall out. Um, and if you're breath holding and exercising, you need supervision. Someone needs to watch you. And if you're breath holding anywhere near the water, someone has to, you have to have a buddy that's, 100% their job is just to monitor you. Um, so be safe when you do breath holding. And uh, I want to yeah. throw something, yeah. a, a question in based on that. Now, obviously, we don't want to uh, encourage runners to necessarily push themselves when they when they are sick. But now, if you're a runner that has got sinuses or, you know, say your nose is slightly a little bit more blocked than usual, um, you know, let's say it's that's not related to being sick, but let's say it's just related to normal sinus issues. Would that be beneficial to then run and, and focus a little bit more on your breathing through your nose when your sinus is a little bit more blocked, that would encourage a little bit more of that uh, sort of um, CO2 response. Yeah. Yeah, and, and nitric oxide. So nitric 
oxide is mucolytic, it breaks down mucus. So there's a trick where you can sort of lean forward and you can um, block your nose, which when you take it, you sort of move your head around. And you block your nose, block your nose, block your nose, and then your first breath in must be through your nose. And basically by blocking your nose, you're increasing the buildup of nitric oxide in your nose. And then moving around kind of stimulates it to move around. And then as you breathe in, that nitric oxide goes through your nose. And it's very, very, it can be very effective for breaking down um, plugged mucus. Um, and so, yes, and then exercising and trying to nose breathe. You can get breathe right strips, which will flare your nose a little bit. Mm. So like as a candidate, if you want to know, like if I block my left nose and breathe in, this doesn't sound very good. Okay, if I block my right nose and breathe in, I'm gold. If I pull the skin on my right nose, so I block my left nose and I pull the skin across, my breathing improves. And then and so you're it's like for me, I'm a good candidate for a breathe right strip, which will flare my nostrils slightly, or you get nose turbines which you put in your nose to dilate your nose. And you might find that that can help because it stimulates nose breathing when you otherwise maybe couldn't. I'm going to say that for breathe right strips and nose turbulence, start, if it's the air is cold or altitude here where we are, where the air is pretty dry and, and cold, it can make your nose run like crazy because it's too much of a stimulus. So your nose will just pull, okay? Um, so you might want to start with that walking and, and, and build it up or get it to the point where your nose pulls, blow your nose up, you might find you can breathe a lot better, but you might find that you, you, you can't use the breathe right strip, so... But play around with that. But it's really, really, for people with breathing and sinus problems, it's really important to learn how to nose breathe and strengthen that. And you'll find your, your nose gets tougher. It gets, it, it gets more robust. And it has, people with hay fever and allergies, the more you nose breathe, typically the better your allergies. Um, yeah. This is a system that responds well to, to being used. And the more you use it, the stronger it gets. And generally speaking, the healthier your allergies, the healthier your sinuses. Um, the less stressed yeah, you'll be, for some people, the better you'll feel. <laughs> yeah, you strengthen the system, the system gets better. And some people do need help through this. But you're going to have to go see an ENT to, to help yeah. get you to nose breathe. If you're one of these people that cannot nose breathe whatsoever, go to a good ENT and, and try and find solutions um, to this problem. Um, and, and, yeah, just one last point is, you can over surgery or over you can overdo nose surgery or like sometimes they'll scrape out your palate or they'll clean out your turbulence. You can overdo it, and and so be go to someone that seems reasonably conservative and try it instead. Because people that that basically open up their nose too much and don't slow the air down and don't have a sense of resistance through the air, it's almost worse than not nose breathing. So they basically you'll get a sharp inhalation of cold air, kind of hits the brain. There's no filtering process. It's too much. Um, apparently, it's, it's horrific. Um, but okay. it's not a great way to be. You can then melt on those breeds. Um, and, uh, and I do, if you, if, it is interesting, is read James Nestor's book, Breath. Um, it's really, really interesting to see the profound changes that they do in physiology between when they plug people's nose, so you can only mouth breathe for two weeks, and then they take people's mouth and you can only nose breathe for two weeks. And the change in your physiology is absolutely gobsmacking. So this is stuff that you... You definitely want to take on board and, and start painting yourself out of the corner and, and strengthening and adding to, you know, to a healthy system to your life. Brilliant. Lawrence, that's your, 
Uh, there's been a lot of cans that we've opened up today and the fact that we've had this length of conversation about breathing and I've still got so many questions that we could go on to and uh, more specifics just goes to show how it is such a comprehensive topic and also perhaps it gives me it definitely gives me a reason why so many runners have absolutely no cooking clue about it that's sort of even further down the line than nutrition in, in their thought process but it can make such a big difference and not only to our running but just to our general daily life our behavior how we feel and our outlook on things so i just want to say you know thank you for for sharing all of your insight and all of your knowledge it, it's been truly educational tonight to, to chat to you and i'm sure that our listeners are going to find it quite useful if there is someone that has any further questions how can they get a hold of you um, Lawrence at innerrunner.com um, send me an email is probably the best way um, innerrunner has one N in the middle not, no one R in the middle not two I'll make in sure to, but one R. I'll make sure to share that in our in our show notes Lawrence yeah. and then I think what we'll do is, is I'll um, in the show notes let me let me put together like a little like a little summary of breathing and and, and what you should and shouldn't you know just some, some thoughts and, cool. and that'll help because you want some sort of structure and some sort of like okay these are these are safe things to think about and um, and we'll do that and then I think that'll give people a great place to start and, and some safe things to think about as they start their journey fantastic um, there's no doubt that this system the healthier breathing the healthier you are um, but for some people it, it ends up like they almost kind of prove a point or, or trying too hard and it's it's, it's all good we're fine <laughs> we'll <laughs> like get there many many fortunate world record holders that, that um, you know, succeed despite their breathing or yeah. do master in high intensity. So, so yeah, trying to... Just like anything else, I guess it's it's a yeah. process that, that that takes time, and you got to have patience. But at least now you you have the know how as well. So Lawrence, yeah, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us tonight, and uh, we appreciate you, and we wish you we wish you all the best. Thanks, Nick. It's lovely to chat to you, and yeah, take care. And everyone, breathe well, move well, feel good. Um, thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform, and remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our journey on our socials, and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.